listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I am reading and reflecting on this four-volume work by Maria Vagrida, totaling over 2,500 pages. If you would like to read along, you can acquire your copy of the four volumes of the Mystical City of God from Tan Books. And when you use code PODCAST15 at checkout, you'll save 15% off. Also, if you would like to participate in a discussion group, you can do so at Facebook by searching for Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. And there, you'll be able to converse with me and so many others who share insights from the daily readings. Today is day 36, and we are reading from chapter 19, and we'll begin at paragraph 283, reading through 298. I'll mention this. The reason why today's reading is a bit longer is because at the end of a week, so we've now completed five weeks, what I do is I calculate if we're on track to finish in the 90 days allotted for this first volume, and we were a few pages behind schedule, but by the end of this upcoming week, we'll be ahead of schedule again. So it's just kind of a back and forth of, Sometimes you need to do a bit longer of a reading in order to catch up, and then you can do shorter ones to kind of equal it out. So thank you for your patience and for tuning in. Today, chapter 19. This chapter contains the last portion of the Apocalypse 21 in as far as it describes the conception of the Most Holy Mary. The text of the third and last part of chapter 21 of the Apocalypse, which I saw explained, is as follows. And the foundations in the wall were adorned by all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardony, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasus, the eleventh hyacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates are twelve pearls, one to each, and every special gate was of the special pearl, and the street of the city was of pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty is the temple thereof, and the Lamb. And the city hath no need of the sun, nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God hath enlightened it, and the Lamb is the lamp thereof. And the nation shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates thereof shall not be shut by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. There shall not enter into it anything defiled, or that worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they are written in the book of life of the Lamb. So far the text and the letter of the 21st chapter of the Apocalypse, which I saw explained. The Almighty, having chosen the holy city of Mary for his habitation, and she, being of all things outside of God, the most fit and appropriate, it was not improper that, from the treasures of his divinity, and from the merits of his most holy Son, he should adorn the foundations of this city's wall with all manner of precious stones. The fortitude and strength of Mary typified the walls. The beauty and excellence of her sanctity of graces, symbolized by the precious stones, her wonderful conception, suggested by the foundations, were all well proportioned by God in regard to each other, and in regard to the exalted end, for which this city was founded, 
namely, that God should live within it by his love, and that from the virginal womb of Mary he might accept his human nature. All this the evangelist describes just as he sees it in the Most Holy Mary. For on account of the dignity, sanctity, and stability which were required in her as a dwelling place, as a stronghold of God, it was befitting that the foundation walls of this city, which prefigure the beginnings of her immaculate conception, should be built of such eminently precious stones or virtues that none more rich or precious could ever be found. The first foundation or stone, he says, was jasper, whose variegated tints and durability indicate the constancy and fortitude which from the moment of her conception was infused into this great lady in order that during the course of her life she might continue to exercise all the virtues with invincible magnanimity and constancy. The virtues and habits conceded and infused into the Most Holy Mary at her conception are typified by these precious stones, at the same time are connected with special privileges, and I will, as far as possible, explain them in order that the full mystery of these twelve foundations may become known. This gift of strength included a special superiority and sovereignty for repressing, subduing, and vanquishing the ancient serpent, and for inspiring all the demons with an inexpressible terror. On that account they fly from her and fear her from afar, being filled with trembling at her mere presence. They cannot come near the Most Holy Mary without excruciating pain. So liberal was divine providence with her majesty that she was not only exempt from the common laws of the children of Adam, but also freed from original guilt as well as from the subjection to the demon, contracted thereby, setting her apart from these evils. He at the same time endowed her with sovereign power over the devil." which all men have lost together with their innocence. More than that, as mother of the Son of the Eternal Father, whom she bore in her womb for the very purpose of putting an end to the evil power of the enemies, she was invested with actual authority, which emanated from God himself, and in virtue of which this most exalted mistress subdued the demons and sent them repeatedly to the infernal dungeons, as I will relate farther on. The second sapphire, the stone, imitates the color of the clear and serene firmament and shows a scattering of gold spots or atoms. Its color typifies the serenity and tranquility of the gifts and graces of the Most Holy Mary, enabling her to enjoy an unchanging and heavenly and serene peace, free from any cloud of disorder and illumined from the moment of her conception with visions of the divinity. By the likeness of her virtues to the divine attributes and by her participation in them, especially in their unchangeableness, she made herself worthy to see God. Many times during her pilgrimage through life, she was favored with unveiled and clear vision of God, as will be described. In virtue of this singular privilege, the Almighty God endowed her with the power of communicating tranquility and peace of spirit to those who will ask for her intercession. Therefore, let all the faithful who are agitated and stirred up by the tormenting anxiety of their vices pray to her, so that they may obtain from her the gift of peace. The third, a chalcedony. This stone takes its name from the country where it is found. It is of the color of the ruby, and in the night resplendent as a beacon light. The hidden signification of this stone points to the holiness and power of the name of Mary. For she took her name from the part of the world where she first came into being, calling herself a daughter of Adam, and her name, by the mere change of the accent, signifies in Latin the collective oceans. 
for she was the ocean of the graces and the gifts of divinity. She came into the world in her immaculate conception, submerging and inundating it with these gifts, sweeping off the malice of sin and its effects, illuminating the darkness of the abyss with the light of her spirit and the brightness of her heavenly wisdom. This foundation stone signifies that the Most High conceded to her most holy name the power to disperse the clouds of infidelity, spread over the earth, and to destroy the errors of heresy and of paganism, idolatry, and all uncertainty in matters of the Catholic faith. If the infidels would turn toward this light by invoking Mary's name, it is certain that their understanding would quickly expel the darkness. Their errors would be drowned as in a sea in virtue of the power conceded to her from on high. The fourth, an emerald, the color of which is a pleasant green, delighting the sight without fatigue, mysteriously typifies the grace of the Most Holy Mary in her conception, for being most amiable and gracious in the eyes of God and his creatures, she preserved in herself without the least offense against her name and memory, all the verdure and strength of the holiness, virtues, and gifts then conferred upon her. Accordingly, the Most High granted her the privilege of ensuring a like stability to her devout followers, obtaining for them perseverance and fidelity to the friendship of God in the practice of virtue. The fifth, sardonyx. This stone is transparent, though favoring the flesh color and usually containing three different tints, dark below, whitish in the center, and nacreous, or like mother of pearl above, a most graceful variety of color. The mysterious signification of the stone pointed to the close relation between the mother and the son, whom she was to bring forth. The dark color points to the inferior and terrestrial portion of the body of Mary, obscured by mortification and labors during her stay on earth, and also to the humanity of her son, obscured by taking upon himself our guilt. The white typifies the purity of the soul of Mary. The Virgin and of Christ are highest good. The carnation bespeaks in him the hypostatical union of his humanity and divinity, and in Mary her participation in the love of her most holy Son and her communication in all the splendors of the divinity. In virtue of this foundation stone, the great Queen of Heaven enjoys the power of interceding and obtaining for her clients the efficacious application of the superabundant merits of the incarnation and redemption including also a special devotion toward the mysteries and the life of Christ our Lord through his merits. The sixth, Sardius. This stone is transparent, and because it is at the same time flashes like the clear flame of a fire, it is the symbol of the flame of divine love which incessantly burns in the Queen of Heaven. For there is no cessation nor diminution of that conflagration of love in her bosom. From the very moment of her conception, which was the time and place of its beginning, it continued to grow, and now having reached that highest state of exaltation, which ever can fall to the lot of a creature, it burns and shall burn still brighter through all the eternities. This includes her privilege of distributing the influence, the love, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost to those who ask in her name. The seventh, Chrysolite. This stone resembles in its color gold, refulgent with flaming fire, and this latter is more apt to show itself by night than by day. It symbolizes the ardent love which Mary entertains for the church militant, its ministers, and for the law of grace in particular. This love shone forth more especially during the night of the death of her most holy son, also during the time when in the beginnings of the evangelical law she held the office of teacher, and when she prayed so ardently for the establishment of the church and its sacraments. 
In those times, as will be said in its place, she cooperated by her most burning love toward the salvation of the whole human race. She alone knew and appreciated the value of the most holy law of her son. With this love, she was prepared and endowed from the moment of her conception in order to be the coadjutrix of Christ our Lord. This includes the prerogative of being able to obtain for those that invoke her the grace of a good disposition toward the fruitful reception of the sacraments of the Holy Church and of clearing away obstacles that prevent their full effects. The eighth, beryl, this stone is of a green and yellow color, but the green predominates, having a great resemblance to olive and being of resplendent brilliancy. It represents the singular faith and hope given to Mary in her conception, enabling her to understand and execute arduous and sublime works, such as she, in reality, accomplished for the glory of her Creator. In virtue of this gift of unfailing assistance of the Lord, was conferred upon her the power to endow her servants with fortitude and patience in the tribulations and difficulties of their undertakings. The ninth, Topaz. This stone is transparent and of a mulberry color, much prized and esteemed. It represents the most honorable virginity of Mary, our mistress, and her mothership in regard to the incarnate word. Moreover, during her whole life, these two prerogatives were held by her as inestimable value and worthy of the most humble thanks. At the instant of her conception, she asked the Most High for the virtue of chastity, and she promised the observance of it during the rest of her earthly life. She was aware that it was conceded to her in a degree far above her vows and desires. Not only that, but she knew that the Lord had made her the teacher and the guide of all virgins and lovers of chastity, and that through her intercession she could obtain these virtues and perseverance in them for all her devotees. The tenth, chrysoprass, the color of which is green with touches of gold, it signified the most firm hope planted in the heart of the Most Holy Mary at her conception, and the love with which it was impregnated and embellished. Hope lived inextinguishably in the bosom of our queen, as was befitting for her, who was to communicate similar quality to the rest of mankind. The firmness of her confidence was founded in the stability of her high and generous nature during all the labors and exercises of her most holy life, especially in the passion and death of her most holy son. At the same time, with this virtue, the power of efficacious mediation was given her, so that she might obtain the same firmness of hope for her clients. The eleventh, hyacinth, which is of an exquisite violet color, in this foundation stone is disclosed the love of Mary for the redemption of the human race. This love was infused into her at her conception was applied to her in view of the merits of the death of the Redeemer, her son. As the whole remedy of guilt and the justification of all the souls was to take its rise for the redemption, this love of the great queen for the redemption from the first instant earned her the power of demanding that no sinner, how great and abominable soever he might be, should be excluded from the fruit of the redemption and justification, nor fail to attain eternal life if he invoked the intercession of the powerful lady and advocate. The twelfth amethyst of a refulgent violet color. The mystery of this stone or foundation corresponds in part with that of the first. It imports a kind of inherent power conceded to the Most Holy Mary from the moment of her conception against all the devilish host, so that the demons, without any command or action on her part, feel a distressing and torturing force proceeding from her as soon as they wish to approach her presence. 
It was given to her as a reward of her incomparable zeal in exalting and defending the glory and honor of God. Hence, the mere sound of her sweetest name is sufficient to expel the bodies of men, the malignant spirits, for her holy name is so powerful that at the mere intimation of it, they are overcome and deprived of strength. These are, in short, the mysteries of the foundations upon which God built the holy city of Mary. But they point to many other mysteries and favors received by her, and insofar as the Lord will give me light and strength, I will manifest them in the farther course of this history. The evangelist proceeds and says, And the twelve gates are twelve pearls, one to each, and every several gate was of one several pearl. The great number of gates of this mystical city signify that, through Most Holy Mary and through her ineffable dignity and merits, the entrance to life everlasting was to be just as easy as it is free. It was in a manner due and befitting to the excellence of this exalted queen, that in her and through her the infinite mercy of the Most High should magnify itself by opening all the many ways of communication with the divinity, and that all mortals, if they wish to make use of her merits and powerful intercession, should enter into participation of the divinity. The priceless value, magnificence, beauty, and fairness of these twelve gates, constructed of pearls, imply the greatness of the dignity and grace of this Empress of Heaven, and sweetest of her delightful name, which draws mortals towards God. The Most Holy Mary knew that the Lord had bestowed upon her the prerogative of being the special mediatrix of the human race, and the dispensatrix of the treasures of the divinity for her son. And therefore the prudent and most diligent mistress exerted herself to make the merits and dignity of her works so precious and excellent that they are the astonishment of the blessed in heaven. Thus the gates of the city were indeed precious pearls in the sight of the Lord and of men. This concludes our reading today from the mystical city of God for day 36, in which we read from chapter 19, paragraphs 283 to 298. One of the things that we see in today's reading is that she takes these gems or stones and she applies a meaning to them, signifying the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we heard it again and again on different occasions. You know, that the second, sapphire, this stone imitates the color of the clear. The color typifies the serenity and tranquility of the gifts and graces of the Most Holy Mary. So each stone takes on a characteristic of the Blessed Mother and is then used as a teaching point. We see this, and we talked about it in Revelation 12 when we went through that section of the reading, that the crown of 12 stars on this woman in the sky that those were the virtues of Mary in her life. And so we read meaning into those 12 different stars. So we're doing the very same thing with these different stones that we see in Revelation 21. I was deeply touched by these words. In virtue of this singular privilege, the Almighty endowed her with the power of communicating tranquility and peace of spirit to those who will ask for her intercession. Therefore, let all the faithful who are agitated and stirred up by the tormenting anxiety of their vices pray to her, that so they may obtain from her this gift of peace. I can only just think of the fact that when Mary receives the angelic visitor, 
the angel says to Mary, be not afraid. And then when Mary appears to Adele Bryce in 1859 in Champion, Wisconsin, she says, go and fear nothing, for I will help you. And in my own life, I know that there was a particular moment where I had a deep struggle that I was going through. And I happened to be at a Marian shrine near Milwaukee. And the circumstances by which I got there are completely crazy. That, you know, somebody needed a ride to the airport. And so then I called a nun who lived at the shrine to see if we wanted to meet and talk about a project we were working on. And so I went into that little chapel there and I prayed there. And I felt this great peace overcome me that all of that anxiety, all of the worry, all of the questions I had about the future, I had peace. And interiorly, actually, I sensed the voice of Mary and that she said something to me. Don't worry, I have a plan. And that put me at such great ease I think for so many people, they turn to the intercession of Mary in a time of struggle, in a time of anxiety. And as they ask her prayers, there is this peace. There is this calmness that overcomes them. Here's another signification that Maria Vagrida gives us. The carnation bespeaks in him the hypostatical union of his humanity and divinity. And in Mary, her participation in the love of her most holy son and her communication to all the splendors of the divinity. And so that's a word we've heard several times, hypostatic union. And so maybe you've wondered, what is that? And that's the fact that Jesus is a divine person, but he has a human nature and a divine nature. He's a divine person with a human nature and a divine nature, but they are hypostatically united. And so there is no division or separation. Bespeaks in him the hypostatical union of his humanity and divinity. And so that's that word, in case you were wondering, I wanted to draw that out. Here's another line. This includes her privilege of distributing the influence, the love, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost to those who ask in her name. So not only does Mary mediate grace to us, as we've been hearing, that she is this treasury of grace, the dispensatrix, the executrix, everything like that. But now even we're hearing that this is the privilege of distributing the love and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we received at baptism and at confirmation. And I'm reminded of a prayer to the Blessed Mother and to the Holy Spirit. It says, Come, Holy Spirit, come by the powerful means of the intercession of the most blessed Virgin Mary, your well-beloved spouse. And so the Holy Spirit and Mary are intimately connected because Mary is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. In addition to being the spouse of St. Joseph, the Holy Spirit conceives the Christ child in her womb. And maybe I've said this already. It's one of my favorite sayings from St. Louis de Montfort from True Devotion to Mary. But he writes that the Holy Spirit looks for the soul devoted to Mary because in that soul he finds devotion to Mary. He finds Mary there. And so Mary and this relationship to the Holy Spirit, she can help to give us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So why don't you ask by the powerful intercession of Mary for renewal of those gifts of the Holy Spirit in your own life? 
At the instant of her conception, she asked the Most High for the virtue of chastity, and she promised the observance of it during the rest of her earthly life. Here's another line worthy of drawing something out from. And in this, you know, we talk often about the perpetual virginity of Mary, that she wanted to remain a virgin before the birth of Christ, even though she was in this virginal marriage. And uh, often we say she took a vow of virginity, but it seems here that maybe that vow of virginity happened from the very moment of her conception, that from her very early life, she said, I want to live this way to please God. Hope lived inextinguishably in the bosom of our queen, as was befitting for her who was to communicate similar quality to the rest of mankind. I can only think about the hope that she gave to the apostles after the death and crucifixion of Jesus. Mary came to Pontmain, France in an apparition saying that she was the lady of hope, or that's how she's venerated, I'm the mother of hope. And this foundation stone is disclosed the love of Mary, for the redemption of the human race. Mary loves the entire human race. She loved it so much that she gave us our Redeemer. She loves us so much that now she wants us to live lives worthy of the kingdom. How great and abominable soever he might be should be excluded from the fruit of redemption and justification, nor fail to attain eternal life if he invoked the intercession of this powerful lady and advocate. I can only just think of the power of one Hail Mary. If one person far away from God in their life prayed one Hail Mary, what does that mean for them? Of course, Mary wants us to be devoted throughout the entirety of our life, but what about one Hail Mary? What would that do for the soul? We have so much to think about from today's reading. What I'm walking away with is to really call upon Mary for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and also then to pray from the heart, sincerely, the Hail Mary prayer, meaning every word, greeting Mary in those words, asking her to pray for me, to truly mean that so sincerely. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading The Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you tuned in today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.